0: He just wanted to honor the Lord's Day because it's important to his faith. It cost him his job at the post office. Hi, I'm Stuart Shepard, and this is First Liberty Live. Thank you for sharing these episodes with your friends and family. This is one that you might want to be thinking about passing along because it deals with a Supreme Court case that's coming up just next month, and it's an important one. Next month, Gerald Groff's case will be heard at the U.S. Supreme Court. First Liberty is proud to be working alongside two other legal groups on this one, and I want to introduce you to Alan Reinock, who's Executive Director of the Church State Council, a job he's held for nearly 30 years. Good job there. And Randy Wanger is COO and Chief Counsel at Independence Law Center in Pennsylvania, which is connected with our friends at Pennsylvania Family Institute. Hi, Alan. Hi, Randy.
1: Greetings. Thanks for having us.
0: I'm glad that you're here. I'm looking forward to this conversation and hearing your version, your side of how this case is going to play out and what we're about to see happen at the Supreme
1: Court. First, Randy, summarize the case for us.
0: What is Gerald's case all
1: about? Sure. Gerald Groff got a job at the post office back in, 2012 and it was a perfect job for him because he had come back from the mission field he wanted a place where he would not have to work on Sundays because of his his uh, strong conviction about uh, the Sabbath so that was perfect for him until Amazon delivery started at the post office and the post office worked with him a while accommodated him and it and it worked until the post office decided they weren't going to let it work anymore but his convictions were strong enough that he found a way to be able to move to a different branch of the post office. He needed to give up all his seniority, start over again. But he made it work for another year until Amazon came to that post office.
0: And I, I want to unpack what you just said so yeah. people understand. You, he was sort of like, and the way, I, if I understand it right, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but he was kind of like a substitute teacher is to a full em, fully employed teacher in that yes. he was picking up extra routes. And you get seniority as you go along. Yes. And he was right on the cusp of getting one of those full-time routes of his own, right? Right,
1: a full-time, a full-time route that would not have any Sunday delivery whatsoever. And so he was so close. If he had, if he had compromised his convictions for just a year he probably would have ended up with a full-time route, but his convictions were strong enough that he needed to find a way to steer around that. So
0: he went to a different post office. Yes. The one behind you, by the way, is Quarryville, Pennsylvania, where he originally was, where all this started going down. And then he moved to a
1: more rural post office, right? Quarryville was pretty rural to begin with, but <laughs> uh, but yes, he moved to an even more rural post office and made that work for a period of time. And then then they decided they weren't going to work with him there either. Worked, then didn't work. Worked, then didn't work. And he, he was in this untenable situation then where he needed to choose between his religious convictions and his job because the U.S. Postal Service wasn't willing to work with him to have him take off on sundays and you think about what he was willing to do for the post office he was filling in for other people's routes. some days he was working one and a half shifts he was working everybody's holidays and doing whatever he could to be able to give back to others and make it all work which is which is it's america like do something good for somebody else accommodate other people's needs he was accommodating the post office and his fellow workers but the post office refused to accommodate him.
0: And to help draw the picture a bit, this is what most people consider the Amish. Country in Pennsylvania. So there are literal horses and buggies on the roads. Yes. Uh, this is rural, rural, rural. I there, mean, a lot of the. There's farms
1: horse and buggy parking at that post office.
0: There is out front with hay yes. scattered around. Uh, this is one of the mailboxes on one of the routes that he did, just to give people an idea of what we're talking about. So that's the picture I want everyone to have in your mind as you hear about this. So what drew you to this case? What got you to be involved in this? Why was your heart in this?
1: Well, sure. He. He, when he was looking around for a new job after the post office was was treating him so badly, I talked to a local ministry in Lancaster County who said, call the Independence Law Center. And he called us up and my heart is for religious liberty. That's why I went to law school. That's why I founded the the Independence Law Center. Yeah. Um, So when I saw the way he was trying to navigate a hard situation, we got involved and shortly thereafter, contacted Alan because Alan has been doing these the Sabbath accommodation cases for years and our thought is we love to work with other good groups. We love to work with First Liberty Institute, have loved working with Alan because rather than trying to be an island onto ourselves Let's, as the Christian community, all work together and figure out how to make these cases win. And to combine
0: the expertise of each group so we each contribute what we can do. Uh, And I appreciate that you've been with this from the very beginning. But like you mentioned, Alan, you came on this very shortly after Randy picked up the case. What was your interest in this? And and so people understand the the law firm, the organization you're connected with, is connected with the Seventh-day Adventists. So you do a lot of cases dealing with Saturdays because uh, Seventh-day Adventists worship on Saturday. So that's a sticky point in the law because a lot of towns will protect you on Sunday, but not Saturday. Mm-hmm. But this is about Sunday. What's your interest in this one?
2: Well, for starters, yeah, I've been doing Sabbath accommodation cases for, at the time we took on Gerald's case, maybe 25 years. Yeah. And I've also never not had a case, an active case, against the U.S. Postal Service. Wow. Um, they are very uniquely very difficult to get accommodations. As in Gerald's case, your seniority only applies within your craft and your office. So if you're a clerk and you become a mail carrier, or you're a mail carrier and you become a clerk, you start from the bottom, all over again. In his case, he went from Quarryville to... Uh, Holtwood. Holtwood, and so he's low man on the totem pole seniority-wise at Holtwood, doesn't matter what his seniority is within the post office. But they've got a thousand of these part-time rural route carriers, and they can't accommodate one guy. So, you know, when, when I was called in, I'm like, sure, this is out of my territory, I generally serve uh, a southwestern territory within the seventh. About Church. as
0: far from Pennsylvania as you can get.
2: Hey, I'm from New York. You know, <laughs> um, small country, but no, I was happy to do it. We just knew that we needed local counsel on the case, and working with Randy and with our other local counsel, uh, David Crossett, who was just
1: fantastic. It, he was phenomenal, and and so the work that we do, we we only have four attorneys at at the Independence Law Center. So we're calling on others in our own state who can help to carry the load, attorneys who are good at what they do, but also have a heart for this kind of work as well. And that's why we pulled in David Crossett, who unfortunately, in the midst of the litigation, um, had an accident and passed away. Yeah,
0: which was a a sad moment and and a a rough patch that you guys had to work through. What's it like having one group in Eastern Pennsylvania, another group in California working together, and also now one in Texas joining in with that. What's it like getting all of that coordinated and
2: worked out? You know, it really went very smoothly. Um, It wasn't a problem. Uh, You know, I I flew in for depositions when we were taking witness testimony, but most of it's just back and forth with documents. And uh, long before COVID, lawyers have learned to work very effectively remotely. Yeah.
0: And Southwest knows you by first name now as part of my understanding <laughs> on the airline. Um, I, what drew you to this specific case? I mean, it's, it's about all the things you talked about a moment ago, but what did you see in Gerald that make you think, no, this is one I really want to pick up?
2: Look, I'm, I'm happy to take on any Sabbath, any type of religious discrimination case where we have good facts, a good client. Gerald is just a fantastic Christian gentleman. Uh, and, and we worked with him for what? Close to two years before he ultimately uh, was on the verge of being fired and, and had to resign his position not to have a termination to block any future federal employment. Yeah.
1: Right? And, and Gerald is just such a phenomenal person to work with. He's, he's humble, he's sincere, he's the real deal. And it's, exactly. it's a joy to be able to work with somebody like that who represents Christ well.
0: Okay, let's talk about the law. Let's unpack a bit what this case deals with when it comes to the arguments being made at the Supreme Court. And, and this is a question for both of you. What are the key arguments that we're about to make as we go to the U.S. Supreme Court in April?
2: Well, if I may... The statute, the civil rights statute says that companies, employers have to provide reasonable religious accommodation, but not if it would cause an undue hardship.
0: And and underline the words undue hardship because we're going to say that a lot.
2: Years ago, the Supreme Court was very suspicious of uh, overly protecting religion, and so they defined undue hardship as not very much, as de minimis. (laughs) And clearly, The phrase undue hardship, this current court is a stickler for interpreting language, you know, statutory language. uh, Undue hardship clearly means something more than hardship, not something less.
0: Absolutely. That's a a very clear way to explain it. Uh, De minimis, all right, it's Latin. It literally means just a little. Give me some examples, some real-life examples of what you've seen where an employer said, oh, this is too much because. What kind
2: of things fill in that blank? (sighs) almost anything. I mean, typically, they come into court having not lifted a blessed finger to do anything. And the lawyers come up with all of these excuses why they didn't have to do anything. And the courts too often buy it, because this de minimis test becomes you know, for those monopoly lovers out there, it's like a get out of court free card for uh, you know for companies, for
1: employers. But we know what, but we know what undue hardship should really mean because it means something in other contexts. Like under the Americans with Disabilities Act, it it means you're supposed to accommodate the employees unless it creates an undue hardship. But undue hardship there means significant difficulty or expense. And so, for for the courts. To treat undue hardship in that setting differently than in the religious setting, that's just not right.
0: So uh, how would a court define it? I mean, what, what's the bar that you
1: think should be set? Sure. And, and again, we, we've got language right. elsewhere where we, know it, where we know where it works. So it, it, it's, it's so fascinating because oftentimes the Supreme Court, when you're trying to change a standard, will say, well, what should the new standard be? Here we've got it in other, in other statutes very clear they just didn't define it right. in the Civil Rights Act dealing with religious so accommodations. What
2: happens is 1977 case called TWA against Hardison, yep. Supreme Court says well the statute on undue hardship means not very much, means minimal. 1990 finally after 25 years of effort Congress enacts the Americans with Disabilities Act and they say well we have the same framework of providing reasonable accommodation for folks with disabilities short of an undue hardship, but they define it, as Randy said, significant difficulty or expense. And there's two other statutes that have used that same language. There's several state statutes that have used it. And so one of the arguments with the court is employers are used to this standard, you know you want predictability Mm -hmm. employers wanna know you know what their obligation is they don't want uncertainty uncertainty creates expensive litigation to resolve uncertainty If you know what the law is then you can either do it or if you don't do it you know you've messed up and you can settle cases on the cheap right that's the point so we have a tried and true standard and our hope is that the court will go with that.
0: And to help people understand this, well, I've had conversations about this very case with friends. One of the things they raise is, oh, so are you asking for employees to have the power to do whatever they want and the
1: employer has to just say, okay, we'll bow down to your request. And, and no, that's, that's why there is a, a test in place. And, yeah. and it's based on a reasonable accommodation, not an unreasonable accommodation. And, it, and with undue hardship, we know how that should work as well so if you had a very small employer and and you couldn't make it work it was expensive it was too difficult versus the united states post office with <laughs> thousands and thousands of employees Look, it they made it work until they decided that they weren't going to make I've it work i've
2: been doing these cases for 30 years and 30 years i have screened exactly two times when <laughs> it was very clear that the person could not be accommodated yeah okay in his in, in mr groff's case as long as the the postmaster was allowed to schedule the sunday in advance he didn't have any problem covering the sunday delivery when labor relations when higher management said no you've got to keep them on the schedule and he had to wait, the postmaster had to wait until Groff would call in on Saturday and say, you know, I'm not coming in tomorrow, and then he has to scramble at the last minute. That's the only time they had any problem. It was a problem of their own making. Most companies can easily accommodate if only they made the effort to do so.
0: And with this, and this didn't hit me for a while after I first heard about the case, but if you're working on Sunday, you're getting paid more than your usual rate correct yes so Gerald was actually giving up an opportunity to make additional money but I suspect there were plenty of people working for the post office who would like that shift in order to put a few more dollars in their pocket right
2: well during the holiday season I think you know they had um, it was tough getting everything covered right uh, because the demands were higher yeah. But even so even if you're short-handed a person, you're only talking about, say, dividing up, you know, a four-hour shift among a couple of other people and adding a couple of hours per person to their route. If you don't have an extra body to cover a route, they weren't doing eight-hour routes on a Sunday. Yeah. Randy, you look like you had something you wanted to add.
1: Well, I mean, the, the funny thing about this this case, too, is The choice for the post office, they've got an employee who's working really hard, working shifts and a half, working all holidays, and trying to find ways to accommodate every other employee. The post office pushes him out so that he no longer has a job. The post office isn't left then with, hey, great, now it's really easy for us to be able to cover those shifts. Now they're without a really good employee who was able to be... uh, Right. utility player for, for every other situation under the sun. So it's not like when, when, this, when the uh, post office made that choice, they somehow were in a better position. Everybody's in a worse position when we don't figure out how to make it work for everyone.
2: We need him so badly this one day a week that we'll lose him for the other six days a week. It makes no
0: sense (laughs) at all. It makes no sense at all. It never does. But it's the government, and that's kind of how the government functions. Well,
2: and frankly, large employers do the same thing.
0: Yeah. TWA versus Hardison. That's going to be talked about a lot. We're going to be doing a, a special edition of First Liberty Live from out in front of the Supreme Court on the day of the argument, as people, and then you'll get to listen in on the argument. As people listen, they're going to hear TWA versus Hardison reference quite a bit. But one thing that we want to be clear on, we're not asking the court to overturn that precedent. We're asking them to change how they think about that precedent. Am I saying it right?
1: There was a dicta in that case. And so for the... Oh, you're talking Latin now. (laughs) I know. So for the average listener, it just means something the Supreme Court talked about in the case, but it wasn't essential to the holding. So really, they don't have to reverse the case. They just have to clarify that really this, this isn't what the law means after all. So TWA versus Hardison was... It was an interesting case because it was dealing with a Sabbath accommodation. A Saturday Sabbath accommodation, where yeah. somebody working for a really big employer—in that case, one of the nation's largest airlines—in 1977 wanted to be able to have off on on Saturdays before Sabbath, and and the case was how to navigate this under uh, under the uh, Civil Rights Act, and and the question was, um, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission was recognizing that in order to prevent discrimination on the basis of religion, we need to make sure that uh, we're making religious accommodations for employees unless it creates undue hardship. And it was just guidance. It was a guidance document from the EEOC. But because some courts weren't following the guidance document, Congress then uh, explicitly said, use that language to reasonably accommodate unless undue hardship. They were just trying to drive home the point I think it was unanimous in the United States Senate um, for, for passage of that, that amendment to the Civil Rights Act. And one of the senators who was talking about the importance of it said, we need this for people like me who observe Sabbath on Saturday.
2: He, he was, Senator Randolph was a Seventh-day Baptist.
1: So, huh. so the, the issue here where we're dealing with, with uh, Sabbath accommodations was one of the main points behind... The law, in the first place, back in in the early '70s when they passed that amendment. '72.
2: Yeah, we just had our 50th anniversary last yeah. year. So,
1: what's victory
0: look like? Uh, if if it's a win for Gerald, what does it look like? What happens?
1: We say that the law actually means what it says, and when the law says undue hardship, it means undue hardship, not not above de minimis, not light as a feather, not this latest this latest difficulty that's well, not what the law means yeah. there's
2: there's a couple of possible outcomes so the most um, you know probably favorable outcome would be at the appellate court and the trial court we actually moved for summary judgment which means that both mr. you know representing Gerald Groff we asked the court to decide that on the basis of these facts we win the court said no the post office wins. The Supreme Court could say, yes, based on all the facts presented, Gerald Groff wins. Outright case is over, and then we get to go back and find out what his damages are and either negotiate or have a trial on you know, what he's lost in yeah. terms of income, et cetera. Um, all, the other possibility is the court can reverse the win for the post office and just send the case all the way back down.
0: Okay. All right. I, I do want to give you a chance, because each of you work with, with great organizations that do important work, and I would give each of you a chance just to explain for a couple of minutes your elevator speech, if you will, about the organization you work for. Uh, first Alan, if you want to talk about the Church State Council.
2: So Church State Council next year will be celebrating its 60th anniversary. It is uh, affiliated with the southwest region of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I've been there I will have been there for thirty years congratulations uh, next year yeah and um, you know we monitor legislation uh, for its impact on religious freedom uh, and you know we've really developed the legal services uh, aspect and have been representing you know because Adventists uh, observe Sabbath sundown Friday to sundown Saturday we have no end of sabbath accommodation problems i took a call just before we did the interview um another large national corporate employer uh clueless right and and we see that on a you know weekly basis
0: and for what it's worth you represent more than just people who are with the seventh day Adventists.
2: look the golden rule is you do unto others right uh i think all of us who are advocates for religious liberty, uh, at least most of us believe in representing people of any and all faiths. Uh, and, and in fact, look, the impact of Graf's case uh, is likely to impact millions of Americans of many different faiths because so many of us have religious commitments that we don't want to lose sight of when we go to work. On the scheduling side, uh, it could be as simple as a weekly Bible study or choir practice, and we you know that might conflict with our job it doesn 't have to be a Sabbath or it may be a beard or a head covering in in some religions, but potentially millions of Americans will be a- impacted by this decision very good, Randy,
0: tell us about the independence law center
1: uh, The Independence Law Center broadly does uh public policy litigation on a whole number of fronts, religious liberty, one of them, but uh one of the things that we 're involved in this year is a lot of representation of, of parents, students, or even school boards, public school boards, uh, trying to navigate the best ways to to confront the large national contentious issues in ways that are that are responsible and, and help our kids so we're involved in a lot of different things um, but Religious liberty is, is dear to my heart. That's why I went to law school. And it was it was listening to a radio program about religious liberty that inspired me. So I really appreciate what you're doing here um, with this program because if that can be inspiring the next generation of lawyers to be going to law school and uh, being able to, to take the baton, when uh, we're too old to practice law, that'll be a good thing.
0: Well, don't give up (laughs) yet. You've got some miles ahead of you. Alan, Randy, thank you so much. We're so proud to work alongside you and both of your organizations. First Liberty is proud of the work you do. We are honored and humbled to get to to be part of this case as it goes to the Supreme Court. Thank you for allowing us to be part of it. We so appreciate it.
2: I'd like to at least express my appreciation. You know, First Liberty took this on on a pro bono basis mm-hmm. on the appeal and has done absolutely, you know, fantastic work and positioned us to where yeah, we got before the Supreme Court, which, you know, is like a 100 to 1 shot.
1: We couldn't have a better team.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Great to work with you. Glad you were here. Thanks for making the flight here to, uh, to Dallas to chat with us today. And as I mentioned earlier, we will be live on the steps of the U.S. Supreme Court on April 18th as this case is heard at the U.S. Supreme Court. Are you going to be inside the room?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Wouldn't miss it for We'll save
0: you a seat. Uh, so if you want to listen in, because the Supreme Court now lets you hear the audio of the arguments live as they're happening, we'll, we'll be on uh, a few minutes before it starts and, and explain what you're about to hear and then stream live the audio argument so that you can hear it for yourself and listen to all of our teams at work before the U.S. Supreme Court as all this comes together in that one final moment before the nine justices. If you want to follow us, just subscribe at at FirstLibertyLive.com and we'll send you updates so you know when everything's happening. First Liberty is fighting for what matters most.